Welcome to Child's Pose, a yoga podcast hosted by me, Michael James Wong, teacher, author, and founder of Just Breathe, Boys of Yoga, and Sunday School Yoga. Now this podcast aims to deepen your understanding, expand your perspective, and inspire your yoga practice. Now for me, I hit the jackpot and was lucky enough to grow up in Santa Monica, California in the late 80s and early 90s during the first generation of modern yoga in America, which at the time was one of the early epicenters of the Western yoga movement. And it was here that I first fell in love with the practice. Now fast forward 30 years, I no longer live in LA, but instead London is home. But that yoga community that I grew up in is now worldwide and stronger than ever. The practice continues to evolve with the times, but for me, the spirit, traditions, and teachings are forever timeless. And so the conversation starts here on this podcast. As I speak to teachers, community leaders, experts, and also ordinary practitioners about the topics and techniques that have evolved and progressed over the years. From the evolution of alignment, to the joys of practicing at home and now online, to what yoga means to the next generation of teachers. My hope with this podcast is that I can share the wisdom from those early years through conversations with some of the pioneers of the practice, but also speak to the next generation of teachers who are doing their part to keep yoga relevant in the real world. So join me each week as we deepen our understanding, expand our perspective, inspire our practice, and discuss yoga. Past, present, and wherever it's going next. Child's Pose. Let's begin. Our global yoga community means the world to us. And during these uncertain times, it's important that we support each other now more than ever. So if you haven't already, please check out and support the COVID-19 Yoga Teachers and Studio Support Fund which has been set up by the yoga mat company Lifeform, who have donated a whole month's worth of profits to get this fund going. And you can donate to support yoga teachers and studios in need right now. And you can nominate a teacher or studio in your local area to potentially receive an award from this fund. Now it's open to everyone, to anywhere in the world, and to find out more, please visit yogasupportfund.com. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Child's Pose, and this week I'm speaking to Mary Beth LaRue, who is a yoga and meditation teacher in Los Angeles, California, as well as a writer and the creator of Embodied, which is her practice, which is guided and focused on the values of connection, embodiment, and soulfulness. She shares all these practices all around the world through her teaching over the last decade and spends so much time in the practice authentically as herself. This is a, a beautiful conversation really about how to you know, focus on what's important in class, to be aware of what's not, and really show up as yourself. So I hope you enjoy, and this is my little catch-up conversation with Mary Beth LaRue. Hey guys, so as this episode kicks off, I'm joined by Mary Beth LaRue, or MB, to her friends and hopefully all of us listening. <laughs> And uh, I'm excited to welcome you onto the podcast today. How are you? I'm good. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I've been saying this to everyone that I've been chatting with, and I, I really do sincerely mean it. It's been a really beautiful joy to have these conversations with people I consider friends in the wider yoga community, but actually, honestly, is moments where we actually probably haven't had a time to really chat and get into it. So it's actually been really wonderful for me personally, and hopefully really interesting uh, for people listening to hear little insights about things that we might kind of unpick as we go today. Mm, love that. So where are you in the world right now? You are in LA, right? Yes, I am in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. So East LA, kind of near Pasadena. Right. And so I'm in London, you're in LA, and this makes it a, a, a beautiful way to to connect even just from afar. I mean, uh, the way I tend to always start these conversations, which I find is so interesting and diverse, is to really just simply ask you kind of, I mean, what really are you passionate about these days as a teacher? What's important for mm. you and, and, and for your community? As a teacher and a practitioner, right, student first always, I would say that embodiment is what I'm most passionate about. I, I for so long have come to my mat and needed a place where I can freely move and express myself. And I see my mat now as a soft place for me to land, you know, physically, mentally, energetically. And it's been nice to put that word to it and understand that that's what really brings me home to myself is this idea of embodiment and something I want to share with my students. Yeah, no, I love that. For the for the sake of this chat, because there's a lot of people on here who are obviously yoga teachers or kind of dedicated yogis, but also new people to the conversation of yoga. I mean, in your world of teaching, how are you really defining embodiment or how do you describe it to mm -hmm. the uninitiated? Mm -hmm. Simply put, I would say it's really feeling what's going on in my body rather than just taking a cue and being told of what to do. So noticing how my right foot feels when I ground down into the earth, how it feels to watch my breath ripple through my torso, or to even just observe how it feels when my ears drop or my jaw softens or my shoulder and what's possible from that space when I'm aware and moving from there, rather than moving from, I need to get into this shape and it needs to look like this. Mm. I mean, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, let's call it over the past, I'm going to say generously decade or two of, of the Western practice, there has been a lot of focus on get into this shape, put your foot here, mm -hmm. do this thing in this order. I mean, wh what's that journey been like for you? I mean, where did it all start? <laughs> I mean, were you always kind of mm -hmm. let's, let's make it more of a feeling or was it, I need to hit the sequence? Mm. I would say it's been a seesaw back and forth, but as I've gotten older, I'm 36 now, I'll be 37 this fall, I have really moved toward a practice that's slower and sweeter. But having, I mean, when I first moved to Santa Monica, I was just astounded <laughs> at what people were capable of in mm. yoga classes. Yeah. And for a long time felt like, oh, I need to do that in order to be able to call myself a yogi, or I need to do that in order to be seen as a legit yoga teacher. And I remember- Yeah, there was like a bar set, wasn't there? There was, a, yeah, absolutely. And I was in complete awe. I'm like, wait, how's that possible? And so- When did you move to LA? Um, I moved to LA 
11 years ago. So I'm not sure what year that was, but quite a while ago. And so Exhale was open. It was like, yep. you know, Shiva Ray and um, Brock and Krista were teaching a lot of handstand workshops and classes. And mm-hmm. it was really cool to witness. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a very special and unique time in Santa Monica, in LA, and part of the yoga community. Mm-hmm. I mean, LA was very much one of, if not the main epicenter of let's call it western yoga mm-hmm. um and in those early days and yoga works and you know santa monica power yoga which we've been talking a lot about on this podcast i mean there was mm-hmm. a lot of there was a lot of yoga going on yes a lot of yoga and i had moved from washington dc which was i loved practicing in dc and there was a heavy baptiste community whereas yeah. i i trained in vinyasa i trained um basically the way I teach now with some shifts and so moving here and having it be power yoga and vinyasa and a lot of creative sequencing was was cool to see for sure yeah I mean what were your early inspirations I mean who were your early teachers Mm, my early teachers so the owner of flow yoga in DC her name's Deborah uh, Mishalove and then also I mean they were teachers in DC, Kira Sudovsky, she opened Inspired Yoga. And then mm. when I moved here, I was really drawn to, um, let's see, um, Govindas's classes. I really have had like such a hodgepodge of teachers. And then I trained with Kia Miller for my 300 hour at Yoga Works in Santa Monica. Yeah. I mean, in those early years when you kind of moved to LA and you were teaching in LA I mean did you feel drawn to let's say conforming with the masses or the flow of it or were you resistant and kind of did your own thing I did my own thing but felt wrong for quite a while and so that was something I had to really figure out for myself of teaching a class that was a little more open-ended, a bit more spacious, flows that were slower, uh, flows where people would go off on their own, really music-based practices. And coming from the yoga works world for a minute there, I, I really questioned how I taught. And now I see it so much more as meditation in motion and this idea of embodiment and realize that it was a very different practice that yeah. um, I, if I was, you know, I wouldn't compare myself if I was a dentist to someone who, you know, works primarily on the shoulder. And so that I think with yoga teachers, we're all up to such different things that comparison can really kill what you're meant to share and how you're meant to share it. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, this, this aspect of comparison, because it's very easy more so now than ever to put the lens of comparison on ourselves as teachers to say, oh, and, mm-hmm. and that's what so-and-so does. Is that the right way? Or that's what so-and-so does. Should I be doing it that mm-hmm. way? And and I think, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I mean, you are one of these people that very much has captured or mastered the ability to teach as themselves unapologetically. Mm. Would, are you happy with Thank that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I say that very wholeheartedly because, yeah. you know, the, the thing, the times that we've spent together or I've seen your class or been in your classes, I think, I mean, I think the last time I've seen you probably was two years ago and, you know, in Palm Springs or wherever we were. And it's just mm-hmm. this sense of actually, you know, 
you know, you have this beautiful ability to kind of give people permission to show them who you are so they can see for themselves, oh, it's actually okay just to be yourself. And this is still teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. And practicing yoga. And practicing yoga. But where did that come from? I mean, was this kind of, is this just like a, a personal resilience you've always had? Or have you had like teachers or mm-hmm. family members who have kind of always said, you know what, just do what you want to do? I mean, obviously it's, you've had, like you said, mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a, uh, a a pull against it in those early years in LA. Mm-hmm. I'm just really bad at faking it. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Great like answer. complete shit at faking it. And so it will be the most evident thing in the world. And I'm sure I could pull out many different clips of me faking it or photos or times in my life, but it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And I'm not going to draw in the people I meant to spend time with if I'm putting forth a false self. And I I think when we are, we've got double the work to do because it's you're showing up the way you don't want to be showing up and then you have to continue to do that. And so for me, I send people away from me all the time in such a, a great way of like, oh, this is what you want to learn here. Go talk to this person. He is so passionate about this or she understands this in a way that Uh, surprises me or baffles me, you know? And so rather than being in comparison and trying to know all of it, I'd rather be myself and show up in a way that's really wholehearted, I guess. Mm, I love that. I mean, and I really love that. And I think maybe a part of that is how we grow into that as a teacher, or maybe have had, you know, Mm -hmm. confronting moments where people have told us that's that works or that doesn't. I think we've all had those moments where you know, you have a, you know, let's, let's say a enthusiastic student telling you how it should be yes. or, you know, other teachers going, well, this is what life, or this is what teaching is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a, a, a beautiful strength, in, especially as teachers in knowing what we're not. Yes. Yes. And then so free right? recognizing that, but then also being so strong and so kind to say, let's think about the service to the student and go, I know what I'm not. But what you do so gracefully is say, I know what I'm not, but you know what? Brandon really knows what he's talking about. You know, Vanessa really mm-hmm. knows this, you know, go over there. Because for a lot of times, I think as teachers, especially when we're younger or newer, we can get swept up in the, I need to keep my students or I need to pretend or sh- not pretend. I need to appear like I'm I'm good or good enough or have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's a sign of maturity. Maybe it's a sign of awareness. Maybe it's just a sign of not being able to fake it to mm-hmm. know what you're not, but able to help people find the connection as opposed to try to create mm-hmm. or, or force one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What like one of my favorite things to say to a student is, "I don't know. Let's go find out together." Right? If they ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm not going to be like, "Oh, here's a bunch of stuff I made up." Rather, wow, let's let's find out what that answer is together. Or if I send someone to another teacher, many times I'll say, I'll join you. Let's go check that out. Um, and I think that's important. Yeah, and, and it baffles them sometimes, doesn't it? They're like, you want, you want to tell me where to go and also come with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's really nice. And I think that's really 
special and humbling and core to these practices. And like, as you said, as a student first to realize that there is a lot of depth in not knowing and wanting to know, to be supportive and to be of service. And I think sometimes, and I'm not going to speak for kind of the wider community, that's not anyone's place, but there is a lot of um, need to feel relevant or need to feel knowledgeable or need to feel, mm-hmm. you know, like we know what's supposed to happen just because, you know, someone's asking a question. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Now, obviously, w- with with you, your teachings and your community, and you, you know, you, you, you really focus now on this practice of embodiment. I mean, what does that really mean when you get down to like the tangibles of it? Is that mm-hmm. the way in which we kind of move our body in practice or is it more the philosophy behind the way we practice is there I mean what what's what is your view on all that it's all of it and it's so delicious you were gonna to say me. that I <laughs> no, I love that well Austin is great and I enjoy it however it's a little part of it right and so being able to use embodiment as a way in to explore the breath to explore meditation to explore the way I show up in my day that's a lot of the work I do is um, working with people to look at the way that we're embodying our lives, right? So if my hour on the mat is the one hour that I feel embodied, which sometimes happen, let's be real, then that's a that's a, a huge amount of energy in life missed out on. And one thing I've been playing with as a mom and in these like really interesting times of also now being home full, full time as a mom is what can I account for at the end of the day? Mm. Is it firing off emails while my child watches Disney Plus for an hour? Or is it like yesterday where I sought out this amazing park and we, you know, we got to, I took him and we both wore our masks and we picked out flowers and we found lizards. And by the end of the day, that's what I remembered. And I feel the same thing about the yoga practice. Will it be this beautiful pose that I was able to get into at 25? Or will it be that I was able to meditate for 10 minutes before I went and had dinner with my family or had a hard conversation with someone? Like bringing in a sense of presence and a sense of really being in our lives is embodiment to me. And so it's less of moving from the head and this is what my life should look like. This is what it could look like and fighting, 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 being in resistance. It's instead, what am I creating? How am I showing up? What am I present to? What am I feeling? And it, can I allow myself to feel it? Yeah, I like that. I like that. But And then how does that weave into the actual practices, the way that you mm-hmm. teach a class or the way that you invite students to practice a class? Mm -hmm. I start with an intention and there's always a flow and it's something that I planned out. I'm also a Virgo. So I definitely spend a lot of time figuring out how I want to show up in a practice. There's not much winging it, but for instance, the class that I teach with Brandon with soul rising, that is about being able to move in a way that honors the breath. It's slow. It's, um, you're not going to do a lot of complex postures in my class. 
there will be an overarching theme, whether it's heart opening or hip opening or twisting, but I love weaving in all of these different moments of something to explore. And so whether that's, you know, dynamic movement in a lizard pose and then holding. So a lot of that, a lot of yin and yang. And I try to also create space then a few minutes of a simple sequence where they can add or subtract shapes and claim the practice as their own. I think often people get really intimidated by the practice of yoga, whereas we know the practice of yoga to be all of it. And it could be as simple as inhale, lunge, exhale, straighten, right? That that can be mm-hmm. a vinyasa that can shift your whole day, right? <laughs> Just that showing up for it, being present to the breath and paying attention. So asking a lot of questions of students as an inquiry. That's one thing that I do. Um, I'm pretty careful not to tell people how to feel. So, And why is that important for you? Because it's their practice to claim and it's their body to claim. And this is giving them an experience. And then I think we have to reclaim our bodies, Mm. right? We're being told what to do with them often, whether we're aware of it or not. And so the practice for me is a lot of unlearning of that. Mm. And for so long, I didn't trust my body or the reason that I worked out was to look a certain way or the reason I restricted things was to look a certain way or to feel a sense of control. And I'm really sensitive around that. Um, And so I try to offer that to my students as well. I think that's really important. And I think um, even in the sense of what things that you probably, it sounds like you do very intentionally, very um, carefully crafted can also, even in little moments, even just as a student, you might not realize the the attention that you're placing, which which leads me to believe, I'm not even believe because I've, I've been to your class, of how important language and cueing and mm. guidance is as opposed to dictation or uh, please do this now kind of cueing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that from another teacher who teaches in that way. Like I can take a class and wow, like that's unbelievable. You're telling me what to feel. I am now offered a different experience. It's just not the way I want to teach. And it's not the way my body wants to practice the majority of the time. This podcast is part of Sunday School Yoga, an international teachers community, an online teacher training platform, supporting new and developing teachers as they learn, share, and grow together. So make sure you check out sundayschoolyoga.com to find out more about how to get involved and to explore the growing selection of online courses you can enroll in from anywhere in the world. So if I was to to maybe think about this more of, of kind of little... Uh, nuggets of, of, of wisdom that I, that I could take away or people listening could take away. What are some of those things that you really put your attention on when you're teaching? One of them being not telling people how to feel. Are there other mm. big things that mm-hmm. you kind of keep on the list to go, this is really an important thing to consider? 
yes. Um, music with a slow BPM that people can breathe to if they choose to align to it. Um, music that takes you deeper but isn't too distracting. I mean, I love Tribe Called Quest. I play Sade and Erica Badu like almost every class. Those are <laughs> artists yeah. that take me right I'm like neo soul all the time but I also love to offer pieces where it's just a beat that's why Brandon is just unbelievable of like he produces music you can breathe to he produces music that puts you in the experience doesn't pull you out of it so I would say being really mindful of what that is and for yourself practice to what you're going to be you know practice your sequence practice your um, to your music. I trust Brandon. So I never know what he's going to play when we do our collaborations. But I also know we know each other so well after doing this for five or six years, that it's, it's instinctual. And with the flow too, I would say um, little builds. So they don't need to be these massive, complicated sequences, you can build up to one and they're amazing. And they're fun to remember <laughs> as you're teaching yeah, them. Yeah. But I would say too, like it doesn't all have to be wild and a circus. It can be really simple and give students an experience of themselves rather than just what we as teachers are capable of. Like that's what I feel as a teacher. I'm there to give you an experience of you and I'm there offering, but I also try to step out of the way as often as possible. Yeah, that's really nice as well. Uh, I, and I think that's a really nice thing to, to maybe we can talk a little bit more about this, this, this importance to, to not make it about ourselves as teachers, to, to, mm-hmm. to get out of the way for those practices. I think even in that own, in, in exactly what you said, I think there, there can be at times, I'm not going to say all the time, I'm not going to try to generalize it. There can be times where as teachers, and as students, we can fall into a maybe, let's call it a little obsession with peak poses or mm-hmm. big highlights in class. Or if we're not in something upside down, then was it even, were you even here? You know, and, and I think mm-hmm. maybe there is, all right, it, it's kind of these, you know, there's a, there's a, the beautiful elegance of almost um, a, a class or a sequence where you're always arriving, but never arrive. Um, mm, you have mm-hmm. this kind of, and, and I, and I, and I say, I, I say this in conversation with you because I really know that you get that and it, it kind of, it, you know, it kind of exudes out of you without even needing to kind of put it as a bullet point. Mm. Um, cause I think it's your personality as well. Not even just your teaching techniques. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Yeah. And yeah, thank you. I think, well, we're there to tell a story, but more not even tell a story where yes that's a beautiful way to teach too but like take them on a journey but let them end up somewhere (laughs) right like I want to take people full circle we start grounded we go through all these ebbs and flows peaks and valleys we're there together our breath supports us the whole way and then where are we at shavasana Mm. you know where where do we land and why that's that for me is probably the biggest thing. And when I work with other yoga teachers is why great design a sequence, play this song, read this reading, but why? And as long as you know why you're teaching, yeah, that's your offering. You have to teach from what you know. And I would say when my, when I have shown up in my younger years and I'm sure in my 
later years as a teacher, I have the times I was not showing up authentically. It was because I was teaching from someone else's why or someone else's, um, you know, my should around someone else who had nothing to do with what I was doing, (laughs) right? Just Mm -hmm. looking outside of me and as a teacher and a student. And I think we all go through that phase of trying to be the quote unquote teacher in however we mm-hmm. see it or associate it or are, are tempted by it. Because I mean, like it or not, there is a lot of visibility on the world of yoga now. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the world of yoga is yes. all, while vast globally, and, and we can speak to that because I know you travel a lot and you are around different communities, but it is a very small community to look into to mm-hmm. be easily tempted to believe there's a benchmark of what good looks like. Yes. And it's important to continually notice that I keep in my, I always have a notebook with me when I practice, when I teach, I basically, even if I'm on a date with my husband, he's like, why do you have <laughs> markers and a notebook? You're like something <laughs> Just will come in up. Case inspiration strikes. Yeah. And, um, I always have a list of like what's inspiring me at the moment as a teacher and a student. And a lot of that has nothing to do with yoga teachers, Mm. but there will be yoga teachers on it where I look to them of, Ooh, that's interesting. Or I really love the way one of my favorite teachers, Chad Dennis, the owner of Rome, he leaves this like space. Like he, Oh yeah. You guys have done a lot together. Like he speaks so clearly and the flow is so poetic and beautiful in your body and so spacious and then there's just space and then when he Mm. speaks it's because he needs to speak and then there's space and I would take his class and just oh wow yes that that lands you know how can I integrate that and how can I create more space for my students yeah and that is one of those things. And uh, I mean, Chad is, is wonderful at that. And I think there's lots of so many teachers who, who are wonderful at that in that sense of holding space without needing to fill it. Yes. You know, and, and that is kind of the, the paradox of teaching as well, because oftentimes as we teach a bit longer or practice dedicated over the years, we tend to, let's say, maybe know a bit more. And so we could fill a lot of space with a lot of different things that may, you know, that might have academic or intellectual value, but it's, it's like you said, getting out of the way. So the practice can actually be self-reflective, can be internal, Mm -hmm. but some of that is courage as well. Right. I remember when I first started teaching, it's like, I'm just going to keep saying stuff because if I stop saying stuff, people are going to be like, (laughs) I'm going to die. I'm going to die, right? Because it's like, <laughs> let me just tell you all the things I know about everything. And if I don't know anything, I'm just going to oh chat, right? That is the best. Well, not only that, I was so scared of public speaking that I said I would never teach a class. Even for my 200 hour, I begged. I didn't want to teach yoga. I was like, yeah. I'm here to teach the practice. And yeah. then I loved it, but I was so terrified that I used to wear those like old school Lululemon jackets and I zipped them all the way to the top because my chest was so blotchy and red because I was so nervous. Yeah. And I mean, so terrified. And that's the thing. (laughs) And it is really funny. I mean, I I said on on our teacher training as well, you'd be surprised as well. How many people get to day one of teacher training? You go, you know what? Part of this, you know, whether it is you choose to or not in the end, but 
part of this is public speaking. You're going to get up front mm-hmm. of a group of people and you're going to talk for an hour or so, <laughs> you know, give or take the, oh, the moments in between. Yeah. But and if you kind of kind of walk out onto the street in everyday life and say, hey, would you like to talk for an hour without anyone saying anything? Right. That, that is pretty much most people's worst nightmare, especially, you know, in when, we're talking about, when you're in front of a group <laughs> and you're talking about yourself and you're talking about yeah. emotional or emotive things and you're trying to be mm-hmm. authentic and honest. Right. So, you know, hey, get up front of a group of people and just talk about things that are real and, uh, you know, make them feel something. It, it's a, and it's try a lot not to pass out. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing is, I think a lot of times we forget and don't give ourselves credit enough as teachers of how much is on offer when we actually show up. Mm. And, yeah. you know, and if we show up well, and again, we say this on our trainings, it's, it's that sense of, yes, you are the teacher, but you're at the same time the student, you're the carer, you're the supporter. You're the electrician, the DJ, mm-hmm. you know, you're the waitress, <laughs> right? You're the supply closet. I mean, there is, you are wearing more than a few hats. You're the suggestion box. Yeah. yeah the all the things. <laughs> yeah. Your HR, everything in between. Oh my and, God. And I think to, you know, to then offer or share something that is meaningful, it, it we have to go back to, you know, essential I'm um, essential life skills, which mm-hmm. which I think are powerful, and I, I think it's important. And maybe you can speak to this of of how important it is to bring, let's say, the rest of your life skills to teaching, uh, as opposed to just give me some postures in a certain order and tell me some things. Oh yeah. I mean, what what types of what types of life skills have you learned along the way that have actually been quite helpful in this teaching thing? In this teaching thing, let's see, I showing up with sincerity. So if I show up from a sincere place, I feel that no matter what on the mat and off of it, I feel good about it. And that's all you can do. I also have learned a lot about uncertainty and impermanence as my husband and I have been fostering our son since he was born. He's two and a half now. And that changed the way I taught. It changed the way that it really is where embodiment came in because I had to be in my body because I was being in my head was so terrifying in those scary times and the gift of that. And so I think really the resilience that can come from the practice and that we're much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And that's something I really love to um, assist people with on their journey that being a strong person doesn't mean your practice has to be really young often if you're showing up in a strong way you need more yin in your practice and a place to soften and get quiet I would say to I am I started as a journalism major and I worked at National Geographic when I first graduated from college and so that was when I discovered yoga and words have always been extremely important to me. I love language. I get really excited even about what I want to speak to in a class, what kind of words I want to integrate into a practice. And I'll often write them out and then writing too, uh, writing about the practice, writing about life, etc., has been a really helpful tool 
in general for planning classes and the way that I want to show up on social media. Mm, I love that. I love that there's a lot of thoughtfulness into how you show up as a teacher. I mean, can I ask you, when when you're planning classes and when you're putting experiences together, do you have a mm-hmm. certain process or is it kind of whatever inspiration takes you, leads you? Mm, I would say... Well, what I usually do is if I'm teaching group classes, I teach one theme for the week and I shift it and refine it as I go. However, <laughs> in COVID times, mm-hmm. I, I, that, that proves to be more challenging. And I'm teaching three flow classes a week and two, a slow flow into yin. And so those classes, I'm challenging myself to make sure every class is different. But I would say, you know, I spend Sundays a couple hours on my mat, getting clear on the music for the week ahead, getting clear on what kind of themes I want to introduce. But most of my themes start with what I'm working with in my life or what I'm exploring. So it might be a quote, it might be a sutra. Um, I love the work of Byron Katie. I love Pema Chodron. Mm-hmm. They, I often, 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 <laughs> Mark Nepo. Uh, weave their work in even more so than yogic texts and so I start there and then play with what I want to make shape-wise and then do you think for teachers who are listening to this do you think there is maybe not let's let me reframe that I mean do you think it's important for you to make it hyper relevant to what you're working with what you're inspired by what you're going through do you think your personal experiences really help kind of help you show up? Yeah, but I, I wouldn't say like I'm always weaving personal story in. I really admire teachers who do that well. And I think it's amazing. I do sometimes, but when I'm still moving through something, I don't use it in a practice until I have some understanding around it. So that's nice. Yeah, that's really important. Does that make sense? It makes yeah. a lot of sense because I think that there can be times where we can be tempted to weave in our own story or we can weave in our own process without having that clarity of the value to the student's practice or the value mm-hmm. to the teaching. And you know, I, I remember when I first started teaching, I was told by a teacher, um, you know, you should always weave in an aspect of yourself in the class. And, and I loved that early on because it was about creating vulnerability and personal connection but then it became almost like a chore of trying to find something in my life that fit or trying to <laughs> yeah. right or try to maybe yeah. embellish a part of my life to seem more meaningful so I could make it work in a class and I yeah. think in those times I wasn't clear enough about what I was saying or trying to offer up that probably everyone was going, "Mm, I feel like you just made that up, Michael, (laughs) or I feel like that just fit a bit too well. Or, you know, is your, is your cat always sick? You know, it's a bit like this. (laughs) Right. 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 Because, right. right, Because we say a lot of things we can say, we we can be tempted to want to maybe in earlier years, hopefully not as much. Now we, we can be tempted to want to be meaningful when we open our mouth. Yes. Yes. And, I would feel often if I tried to weave in a personal story, 
by the end of it, I was like, what, what, where was I going with that? Whereas when I really have thought out what the theme is that I might throw in a thing or two here or there, um, in my coaching and in conversation, I always weave in personal stuff as a way of, um, relating, but I think it just depends. It really just depends mm -hmm. on what's coming up. And I don't necessarily want to put what I'm going through on someone else's practice back to the point of I'm here for you to have an experience of you. Absolutely. And I think actually that relates really nicely to a lot of times in class where we look at actual postures and sequencing. And I, I know there's, a, there's obviously some schools of thoughts that are saying, be creative in the moment, you know, let the shapes unfold as they mm -hmm. unfold. And I think, mm -hmm. um, I think there's an element of, you know, that that is valid. If you have a really strong understanding and a clarity of the posture yes. or the anatomy, the value, as opposed to creative for creative sake or story for story's sake. And I think, mm. um, I think there's an element of, you know, ensuring what I, what I love what you're saying is this this clarity of self-understanding but when we find that clarity yeah it does give us freedom it does give us a bit more freedom to storytell or to share or to sequence mm -hmm. kind of creatively but without that sense of self-clarity it, it can be inauthentic it could be confusing it could be you know just misleading yeah but also what I remind myself too is like we're human and you, no matter what happens in a class, like I can't manage the way you perceive me. And that's been really helpful, not only as a teacher, but as a human of I'll do my best. I'll show up as a human. Even I, I don't know if you're in the class in Wellspring, but I was teaching and I had him lift the wrong leg and it was so great because I caught it and I started laughing and I felt no fear or embarrassment. I just said to be a human. And then we lifted the right, the correct leg. And it was so nice to just be like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> right? Yeah, so it's not, you don't need to perfect it every time you show up, just show up. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and a part of me, I mean, I don't know, maybe for me, I mean, that took a bit of time. I mean, I was dead oh, set me too. on being perfect, me right? Too. And I mean, I forget who it was, and I'm I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it was someone like Rudy Mattia, who's an LA teacher, said, oh, you know what, any yeah. leg works, you got a 50-50 shot at it, right? <laughs> and it's one of those. Right? I mean, <laughs> it sounds like him, right? Like yeah, and it's like you got a 50-50 yep. shot at getting it right, so you know, don't don't get too stuck up on it. And if it's not one, it's mm -hmm. it's the other. Right. Yep. <laughs> I and it. I think that's important as well. And I think it's, I think, and I, and the reason why these conversations are, are so interesting and inspiring, and I think important because I think as teachers uh, now, especially I'm going to say teachers of, uh, you know, a certain privilege or a certain mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, place that we have within the wider community is to continue to celebrate and give teachers, all teachers, new teachers, especially the permission to realize that there's not one way that things need to be done, no matter how strong of opinions we can hear. Yes, yes, yes.
and that there's room for all and there's room for all body types and humans and teachers and practices. And I really, I have just no patience for, for judgment when it comes to that, whatever your Mm. practice is meant to look like, whatever feels good, then God go, go forth towards it with like your whole heart, because that's what will bring you peace. Not trying to should or could, you know, all over the place trying to find your yoga practice like this I really really believe like you have to cultivate a practice that serves you and honestly if it's really authentic to you then it might not look like anybody else's so if you're a student right now listening or you're a student practicing or a teacher practicing what kind of things could they um what kind of things would they find in in you as a teacher i mean it's kind of this sense of you know it was that chat of knowing what we are and knowing what we're not i mean it's kind of a i mean fill in this sentence for me if you're this type of student then you may you know you may find something nice in the class with me hmm. that's hard yeah not all the questions if are easy you're... <laughs> um if you're someone who craves a slower pace and a and a soulful vibe, then you might enjoy a practice with me. And also, I do believe as well, whatever practices we're practicing now, practice the opposite as well to continue to shift it up. It doesn't mean it becomes your everyday practice, but I think it's important for us all to explore things that are outside our comfort zone for sure. Yeah. That's really nice. You mentioned earlier that you uh, you always are having new things that inspire you or take your attention or spark a, a little thought. I mean, can you share anything that's kind of recently just kind of come off the notebook of kind of something recently in the past few days or weeks that kind of like, this is quite a thing that I've been kind of put my mind on? Yeah. Um, I really like the work of Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. She does a lot of work mm-hmm. around embodiment. I love the work of the Brahmani Yoga School. It's in Goa and it's Julie Martin. I have major goals to study with her eventually. I have been playing again with a lot of the work of Byron Katie and one of her students, Brooke Castillo, who kind of simplified the model of thought work, which I I find really helpful to integrate into practice and a return to the work of Tara Brock. Mm. She's a Buddhist teacher and she is just as lovely. Oh, and one more and Donna Farhi bringing yoga to life is my favorite book in the entire world. And I have every other sentence underlined and she really, for me um, encompasses how I would love to show up as a teacher as I continue to mature Mm. and get a little wiser. Yeah. Or a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Those are all beautiful references. And I I think that really is a really nice way to put it is that as we continue to get a little or a lot wiser. And I think the, you know, really the underlying aspect of all that is that just, you know, having more and more deep, honest, humble moments of, Mm-hmm. self-awareness, reflection, and just realizing what makes sense for us and really getting clear on actually that suits me, that doesn't, this feels right, that doesn't, and kind of removing the heaviness or baggage of, you know, the expectations of what a yoga teacher is. 
Yes. Yes. That's, that's so well said. Definitely removing those expectations and from ourselves first and foremost, for sure. Do you have personal practices or rituals or things in your day or life that are quite necessary for your self embodiment or to keep you kind of you? Yeah, I am now a full-time stay at home mother with two businesses <laughs> uh, with a two and a half year old. So that's been really important. So while he naps, I meditate every day and do Reiki. I, I love Reiki. It's nothing that I offer publicly, but I'm level two certified. And so oh. um, I do that. And then I also have found that I need a good sweat every day as well. So I'm very fortunate. We have a Peloton in our living room and that has become part of my practice is okay. that I move my body in that way. But I also am practicing at least well, at least five times a week, but two of those practices are yin practices. But I would say the mainstay is meditation, finish my hot cup of coffee and move my body every day. <laughs> finish the hot coffee while it's still hot. While it's still hot. That is the, yeah. that is the challenge. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think this moment right now as everyone's kind of obviously locked down in different places around the world, there's been a lot of new insights, a lot of new mm -hmm. formed uh, routines and habits, which, you know, in many ways, hopefully have created rituals of insights. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of life that we're learning right now. And I think if we can continue to capture those little moments that really reflect personal value or growth, yep. then it, then it inevitably, if we allow it to shows up in our teaching in a very, very powerful way. Yes. And I feel so clear that I need so much less than I ever thought I did. Mm. And that goes across the board. So using this practice as a way to just steep more deeply into my life and to show up more so has been a serious gift. Beautiful. I totally agree with that. What things do you think, you know, we can hope to continue on and see in this yoga community? What no, not just now during kind of lockdown, but I mean, what evolutions have you kind of noticed over the past, I'm going to say a few years or many years that have become more meaningful to you, but hopefully become more meaningful to the wider community? Hmm. I think meditation. I think that we're seeing people turning to meditation in a way that I hadn't really seen prior and teachers integrating meditation and pranayama more so into their classes, into what they offer. I've asked, I've had a lot of students come to me to slow down, which I think is kind of a newer, newer thing. And I also see even in this time of being home, people learning their own practice, mm. right? So a practice that can be visited five minutes here, an hour here, you know, it's not something that you have to yeah. necessarily like leave your home for. And then it's practice time that practice can be integrated all day in a way that serves you. Totally, totally agree with that. And I think it's really important sometimes to not only remember, but also to, to discuss as well this, uh, this notion that as teachers who have been maybe practicing for a while, if not a, a very long while, you know, we have over time and years uh, acquired all the necessary components for self-practice, for yes. self-sustainability. 
And we can sometimes forget that, you know, when you're new to the practice or even, even, I mean, even dare I say, even a new teacher, there's a lot of things we don't know about self-practice or sustaining our own um, practice, you know, and, and it's, it will, you'd be hard pressed to think of any other, uh, let's say category or profession or activity where the teacher's role is not to help you create self-sustainability. Mm, wow. Yes. And I think it's important that we remember that. Yeah. So important. Because it's, we don't want our students to be reliant on us forever. Right. We want to, right. we want to know that we want them to know we're always here. We're happy to support, to be of service. But you know, if you, if you only can feel a certain way when you're hanging out and in class, maybe we're missing the point a little bit. Absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree. Mm. So what I wanted to ask you as we kind of wrap up this chat, and uh, I mean, it's been wonderful, um, is just a few little things that I've been asking everyone to kind of hear their little insights on. And one of it is, you know, for, you know, if and, and obviously this can be a real example because I know you spend a lot of time with new teachers and developing teachers. For teachers who are, let's just say, just coming into the world of the community now, I mean, best piece of advice, one thing, one, one or two things that are actually really nice things to hear from people who've been around and, and done it for a little while longer than them. Ooh. I would say be on your mat, be in your practice. I would say create before you consume. I see it a lot in myself, even on social media or whatnot, looking around, seeing what other people are doing. So right giving yourself the time to be creative and listen to what you're meant to do rather than just mimicking what someone else is doing. So definitely creating before consuming in all ways and that you're meant to be here. You're meant to be here as a teacher. If you feel called to offer this, if you feel called to take someone on this journey, then you're meant to be here. I questioned it for so long, whether I belonged, whether, mm -hmm. you know, this was the club, you know, did I have the membership and yeah, or I've got the membership and are they going to realize that I shouldn't have it? Exactly. And now what I've found is one, I, I do like to go it alone. I'm kind of, that's the way I, I like to do things in many ways and giving myself the time to, to dive more into my practice and see, see what's meant for me while also celebrating the unique gifts and successes of other teachers across the board yeah that's a beautiful way to put it and um i knew i could count on you to give some beautiful wisdom <laughs> no, but wow. i say that honestly because i mean i think there is a reality a lot of times that um we can easily be led to believe that teaching yoga should be like this or should be like that or mm -hmm. there's there's ways ways and systems and people and and countries cultures communities and i think we always need reminder of permission and allowance and a sense of belonging, which what yoga is at its, at its root. Absolutely. It has been a, a, a lovely, warm and inspiring conversation as I knew it was going to be. And I wanted to thank you so much MB for spending some time and offering some of your thoughts and um, insights uh, to this podcast and the people listening. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I love this so much. Could talk to you oh, for hours. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to doing it more. And it's one of those things that, you know, if nothing more in this moment is, it's great learning for me. And also moments where we can really find 
connections or reconnections, uh, I mean, between you and I, between people who are listening to you and people who, you know, people who are looking for ways to really make this yoga community something that they really feel like they belong to. Mm, yes, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Now, for people listening who want to stay connected to you, find out more about you and the stuff you're up to, where's the best places they can connect with you? My social media is Mary Beth LaRue. My website is marybethlarue.com. And I also started a little Instagram account, which I'm loving, and it's embodied by MB. And it's where I talk mostly about my small group coaching and the some of the retreats and trainings I'll be offering coming up. So that's Beautiful. where. Wonderful. Well, if you're listening in at home or wherever you are in the world, please do check those things out. Follow along with what MB's up to. She's a fantastic and wonderful teacher who, um, you know, speaking from personal experiences, you know, is such a, a simply humbling, inspiring teacher. And I'm so honored to have this chat with you. And I thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, if you want to find out more, please stay connected to the podcast. Um, we release weekly episodes, as always, with lots of amazing conversations in the episodes before and many more to come. Do us a favor if this were if this was interesting or inspiring or both for you. Do us a favor and jump onto Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review it. Spread it out, share the word, and let other people in your life who love yoga as much as we do all about what we're up to. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time on Child's Pose.